Welcome to the Garbage Fire Podcast, aka MFKS Radio, on the airwaves dial at 487.52. Your pod is hosted by Kelsey and Megan, who are discombobulated but surviving. That's pretty good. Uh, the Garbage Fire Pod is all about is, <laughs> you know, you know the thing. Yeah, I know the thing. You know the thing. Yeah. Thanks. Things that you love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't forget we have to end our we have to end it differently. This time. Oh yeah, I'll leave that to you because I can't remember exactly what it is. Oh no, Megan, it's sold out. Oh, that's okay. I'm gonna just add myself to the list when it's available. Okay. <laughs> so Sorry. that's a that's a that was an off-air conversation that came straight <laughs> on air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the thing that I bought that is for you that's being shipped to my house, it shipped today. And I think it's shipped on UPS, so it should actually get out of the U.S. before December 15th. Wait, so you sent me a box Yeah, I, I, that you showed me a picture of, and then you sent me something else? Yeah, because the thing that I showed you the picture of, you paid for. <laughs> oh, those are the calendars. Yeah. Because uh, oh, okay. <laughs> when you filled out the form, you wrote Kelsey fucking, and I was like, "Yep, yeah, sounds good. That's who you are." That's right. And That's parasite. Right. Gave myself a new title and everything. Yeah. yeah. Who knew my middle name was fucking? <laughs> I mean, obviously you're a legend, so of course it is. <laughs> you're kissing. Obviously, you're with child, so. <laughs> only happens a certain number of ways. Oh, boy. Well, this took a turn. I was <laughs> deviated from a plan, but, like, we didn't have one, so it just took a turn. <laughs> no. Essentially, what we're doing is just coping. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Today's Tuesday night. Uh, it's 7.30, so who knows what's going to happen. I've cried twice since after school um, because we got some new... Uh, government restrictions on things, which is good because we needed it because Alberta is a motherfucking tire fire right now. Uh-huh. Um, our premier has been in, quote, isolation for the last 10 days, but I think he had the COVID. Of or course. has the COVID. And that's why we didn't hear anything from him, like mm-hmm. via Zoom or whatever. Agree, agree. Um, yeah. So there's been no leadership. We are case numbers just like <laughs> sky fucking skyrocketing, and everybody who knows anything is just like, well, everyone is basically the like the this is fine dog. That's all of us right now. Just like, well, here we are. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, <laughs> so relieved that something is actually happening right now. Yeah. But, but, hey, so grade 7 to, to 12 students can't go to school in person as of Monday, November 30th, which also, I will give them a little bit of credit because they gave more notice than, like, 12 Before, and a half yeah. hours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm actually quite surprised about, that they gave that much notice. But, um, so we are moving to online learning. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. It'll be much different than in the spring. I don't know if that means I still have to go to work or if I can work from home or I don't know any of those things. And it's fine. That's irrelevant right now. But if I want to still go to the casino, let me tell you, I can do that. Yeah, so is it, do they have to abide by the 25% capacity rule? I didn't notice. I didn't actually look. Okay. 
Because I, I know some other people were complaining about that. And I was like, would it not fall under the 25% business? Yeah, I'm not sure. And also, like, water parks and stuff can still be open, which just, those are disease vectors at the best of times. <laughs> Never mind in the middle of a fucking pandemic. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I will say this, that, like, in the hyperchlorinated water, probably very safe. Like, actually in the water with your head under the water, you're probably fine. But, like, just I'm just thinking about, like, the humidity and the temperature of oh, those yeah. environments and stuff. Yeah, and they're, for like, sure, I, sure. I worked, I worked at pools or in pools for, like, 15 years. And they are just fucking disease-ridden. They're disgusting. They're absolutely disgusting. And I just, I don't understand why now, in the middle of a pandemic, where this thing is spread through the air... Why you would, A, want to go into, like, a hot, humid place. Mm-hmm. With, like, recirculated air. With recirculated air and fucking other people. Like, I just... Anyway, whatever. Is what it is. Uh, so, yeah, I felt a lot of feelings in the last uh, three hours. Absolutely. Of course you have. Like, goodness gracious. It's been a roller coaster of a week. Like, it, ha- it really has been. 16 deaths today? Oh my god. I know. <sighs> not uh, great. No, not great. And, I mean, obviously, like, Christmas is coming, and so it's, I, like, I appreciate that there's some things being done, and I hope, you know, with us being out of school, in the high schools, one of my friends who teaches elementary school, she's like, well, my life isn't going to change. And I was like, no, but maybe there'll be enough subs in case you need one. Yeah, that's totally. always been a concern for the last little while is not having enough subs. There was a day yeah. in our school board a few weeks ago. Like, it's only November 24th. It feels like it's fucking March. Just like, anyway. I'm, March of last year. <laughs> but also March of 2022. Like, it's I don't even really understand what time is right now. But uh, there was a few weeks ago where... There were 60 full-day jobs that went unfilled. Oh, my God. Because of all of the sub-shortages and whatnot. Because, I mean, there's so other things. So what happens? I have no idea. Um, but, like, there's other things going on. It's not just pandemic. Like, people still have dentist appointments. Yeah. And doctor's appointments. And all of those kind of things that you need, that you take time off work for as well, Right. And uh-huh. so you need some, like, so yeah, it was very complicated. So hopefully what this will mean is that, like, with just elementary teachers in uh, in buildings, I hope that that means that if they do need subs, that, like, there will be some available. Yeah. And maybe, possibly, maybe schools can bring in some of those subs, like, regularly and, like, reduce the number of kids in a room or... Yeah, ideally. Like, I know they're saying things. that it's much less, well, the... They're seeing very low numbers of elementary kids spreading it, but I still just, like, <sighs> it should be zero. Mm-hmm. It literally should be zero. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <sighs> that's... Anyway, let's not. That's where we it. are. That's where we are right now. It's uh, super good, super fun times. The only thing that I will say about this pandemic business right now is that, other than the schools being a big change... Um, I, the rules that have been put into place are not for people like you and I. True. Because we have been following the rules from day one. Mm-hmm. I got a little bit of flack from somebody about, like, still seeing my parents, and I was like, hey, 
we're basically a household. Sure, we don't live together, but, like, I don't see any other people, and neither do they. Yeah. So, like, it's just as if we were living in the same house, we're just not living in the same house. Um, but, I, so I got a little bit of flack about that, and so today, when this update came down, uh, a friend of mine, you know, gave me a little bit of information about the schools and stuff, and then said... Uh, you can still see your parents and be in total compliance. And I very much appreciated that because I had talked to that person um, about, you know, getting a little bit of flack or whatever elsewhere and mm-hmm. was reassured that I was doing the right thing. But it was very nice to, like, you know, have that as, like, the thought that sort of came out. And I was like, oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But also, it seems like that person who's criticizing you is projecting just a little bit. I think so, too, yes. I think there's some projection happening, and that's okay. Like, we're all dealing with it in the ways that we do, right? I just confirmed casinos, 24% occupancy, slots only. Okay, I mean, I suppose if you're going to stay open, I guess that makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Because that's, like, an independent individual sort of thing. It's not a table game. But, like, just fucking close. I know. It's so stupid. I know. If we did the New Zealand lockdown just a month and just Mm -hmm. got it done. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's talk about uh, better things. I watched some of the... Actually, I finished season three of The Crown and watched the first five episodes of season four. Okay, so I first want to hear what you thought about season three. Like, the last three episodes... Okay, so summary fill me in. What'd you the see? Reason, okay, so the reason that I stopped is that when I stopped watching season three, I had watched Aberfan and it was just so depressing. And I was like, uh-huh. I need to not watch this anymore. And then I just didn't. Like I just you know, there was other things to do and then the world ended. <laughs> and uh, I had no like emotional capacity for the rest, yeah. The rest of it, because it was just, like, it's heavy. Like, it's not super, super serious, but it's, like, heavy enough. Right? That, like, and, yes. That it's hard to watch sometimes when you're not in that sort of headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the reason why I, like, stopped. Um, I... So I, I liked the stuff... In the last, I had to watch the last four. I didn't, I hadn't seen the, the moon landing one yet either. So okay. I had watched six. And so I quite enjoyed um, the one with the moon landing because I felt like for the first time since Philip was a small child, they like humanized him a little bit and made him seem like less than a dreadful person. Agreed. And it's like, it's literally the only time that season where you feel like he's not a, just a robot full of hatred. Yeah, and, and I mean, T- Tobias Menzies, to his credit, plays that role so impossible. Mm-hmm. It, like, I don't even know how to really explain what he does. Like, he's phenomenal. Um, so I like that sort of look at Philip, because, I mean, all we see is, like, the weird media version of that 99 year old man like do you know what I mean like it just is what it is now so it was nice Mm -hmm. to see some different a different look maybe at him um I really don't like Charles at all no he's an absolute morose fucking entitled depressing blob of a man 
He is, and, and, and he sucks. Like, he's just awful. Like, as if that wasn't enough. He, he just sucks. Uh, he's awful to watch. Yeah. Um, I thought what I really liked about um, the episode after the moon landing was, um, I really liked when Elizabeth met with the Duke of Windsor. Yeah. I quite I liked, thought I thought there was a little bit of pathos nice. in that. Yes. Especially because she feels so... Because her feelings towards him are so mixed. Because, like, one, she blames him for... He's the reason her father was king and that she was king. And she felt like her father, like, wore the crown really heavily and killed him early, etc., etc. But, like, at the same time, she... She disallows members of her family from finding the happiness that he has. Yes. Right? And so everyone in this show is just so complicated. Yeah, and and I find that that's really difficult watching it because, like, she's doing her best to control everything. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I get it because I feel like in the position that she's in, she really, really obviously wants the people in her family and in her life to to present these images of sort of the, the composure that she has. Mm-hmm. Um, because she has a lot of it. Absolutely. Uh, and almost and, to her detriment, right? Yes. Cause there's only, there's been a couple times so far in, um, season four where she's been like super, super like human, which yeah. I found really interesting. And we can talk about that in a second. So I really liked that bit with, with her seeing, um, you know, being able to see the Duke of Windsor and, and sort of, you know, find out how he and Charles had bonded and all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy the love triangle bit with just because I think it's more fun. It's fun watching Charles be even more like sad. It's like sad Patrick Caden, just kind of, it gets old, but not really. <laughs> right. And it's kind of satisfying to see that, that sort of resignation in him that like he can't have the thing that he wants. But um, also, like, just fucking give it up. Like, mm-hmm. you need to move on. Like, you need to know it's not right. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah, we'll talk about that scene in season four. Yeah, I really also, like... I, nuts. Yeah, I really also like, um, like, Princess Anne. Just all of everything about her. I think she's wonderful. Um... Her, like, sardonic tone of voice is a breath of fucking fresh. It's wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. Uh, Lord Mountbatten reminds me of what's-his-face from Up, like, the villain from Up. He's got the same <laughs> kind of, like, face. <laughs> that was the first thing that I thought of, and I was like, oh, that's who that guy is. <laughs> um, but oh, th- my God. <laughs> Sorry, you'll never unsee it now. Um, but I thought it was interesting, too, because, like... You know, when Mountbatten and, and the Queen, like, stop the relationship between Charles and Camilla by yeah. posting him overseas, and then the Queen Mother gets involved and, like, makes makes those decisions. It's sort of, like, I... what it, The thing that it made me think about was, like, when Elizabeth was younger, like, did her parents do the same thing? Uh-huh. Like, do you know what I mean? And she's here, she's, like, engineering, you know, these relationships or breaking things up or whatever, but, like, did her folks do the same thing with her? <sighs> Or because she was a woman and it was the 40s, it probably wasn't... You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, right? Like, maybe they didn't I have think, to. I think, like, if I remember correctly, like, she fought for Philip. 
Mm-hmm. Like she had to convince everyone else that it would be appropriate. So that's so tough but obviously I'm sure if she would have been in a scenario where everyone was like no then it wouldn't have happened yeah and she's done it to Margaret yes she has so oh my god can we talk about episode 10 season 3 uh yeah we can oh I sobbed during that episode when Elizabeth goes to Margaret and says, how could you do this to me? How could mm-hmm. you leave me? Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, being in a separate province from my sister was not great when I watched that. Oh, no. She and I just fucking cried and cried and cried. <laughs> that one, I thought, like, those two together, just dynamite. Yes, they're they're so, so good. They're so good. And, like, Helena Bonham Carter, Carter is just phenomenal in that role. Like, she's got that, like... I don't know. She's got that, like, ability to kind of be a chameleon, almost. Like, I yes. know it's her in the role, but it doesn't feel like her. No. And which I thought was really interesting, too, because she's so good at being the chameleon, and that's to her detriment in her role in the royal family. You know what I mean? Like, she's, mm-hmm. she seems like the the one part of that generation that attempts to drag it into the modern era and not the 1800s, and it seems like at every attempt she's vilified. Mm-hmm. But it, it also looks like she she's also strikes me as, like, the easy target because she's such a hot mess and oh, so because totally. because totally. so many of these things have happened so far it's very easy to just be like oh it's just margaret it's not a big deal yeah right but it's like when they when she finally after she's she you know makes her attempt and and whatever and and elizabeth comes to see her in the hospital or when she's recovering or whatever um mm-hmm. that scene was like that was really well done and I feel like there was you know like they did a really good job of like showing the sisters like becoming close again yeah like they had been because they drifted quite far apart well yes absolutely well Margaret's going through her own yes shit of course and I I think the queen mother is an absolute dick I think so too I think she was only really delightful in her 90s when she was just probably sauced all day long yeah, just like, gaga. Yeah, I think, just I think she's so... an asshole. Yeah, she's... I didn't think it was that bad. Like, when um, Elizabeth's father died, and she was trying to, like, guide Elizabeth into the role, but now she's just, like... She's so mean to Margaret. She's so mean even to Anne and to Charles. She, like screams in season four that's the way it's always been done it's like i don't care mm-hmm. <laughs> like you need to look at your children and your grandchildren as human beings and not just a symbol of you know yeah well and i think that that's unending one of the things, aristocracy i think that's one of the things that we're seeing as like as this this show progresses and like the children are older ultimately mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. like now that the kids are older there's this like this sense that 
you know, they're not people anymore. That they're just, yeah, symbols of the family legacy. Yeah. And they have, Which you know, like expectations if... to live up to and whatever. But my, my counterpoint to that is, like, if those children and your grandchildren are supposed to be the symbols of the legacy and they're constantly fucking up, maybe take a look in the mirror. Mm. <laughs> About why that is. Yeah, right? it's, like, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely reasons why they're acting out the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I really, I enjoyed the end of season 10, like, or season 3 rather. I thought it was really good. Like, I, I thought it was really well done. And, I, you know, I mean, I don't know about, um, I don't know about the accuracy of anything, but, you know, it makes a good story. It makes for compelling TV. It does. And I think the, the performances each year are just like better and better like you believe it you believe everything from these people even though you know the timelines are tweaked and this happened here and this happened here but we're gonna squish them together in the same episode to make it seem like like whatever Mm -hmm. it seems like you're witnessing history which is really neat yes so let's move into season four because holy shit there's some things happening holy shit okay so i'm Spoilers, I guess. I'm. Yeah. I just finished episode three, which is Diana. The it ends with her like staring at her wedding dress. Not yet on. Yes. So, talk me through your impressions of these first three episodes. Okay, the first thing I need to say about this show, which it has done a bang up job of, just in general, the casting of Diana is spot on. It's so good. She is incredible. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's got the... When you look at pictures of Diana and old, like, video clips and stuff, she's got that, like, demure sort of sensibility Coy about her. almost. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal. It's just absolutely phenomenal in that respect. Um, yeah, Diana is... Yeah, she's she's lovely. She's she's absolutely lovely. She is, and also someone just like Margaret, who like infuses this dour, morose family with energy and personality. And even Philip likes her. Even and he likes Philip nobody. Likes he likes nobody. Yeah. And he is the one who, like, goes out of his way to get to know her and to bond with her. And it's so funny how during um, the Belmoral Test episode, she just absolutely shines Mm -hmm. in his presence. Well, the best thing that happens in that episode, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things, but when the, one of the, like, the attendants says to her, like, will you be needing outdoor shoes? Yeah. Um, and she's like, no, that's she's all like, I brought. Which, of course, contrasts with Thatcher, who didn't bring any. Um, oh, my God. We, we'll talk about Margaret Thatcher here in a minute, because uh, also phenomenal. Just yeah. fucking phenomenal. Um, yeah. But I really, that, that scene, I think, really sort of, you know, to me, the, 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 that little detail, to me, sort of gives the, like, the implication of, like, how she was always known as, like, the people's princess. And mm-hmm. to me, that's one of those moments that, like, set her apart from other people. That she Absolutely. Just, that she just 
fit in so well on this, like, on this hunt, on this stag hunt. Which is so interesting because she herself comes from a layer of the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot about this that's really tricky, though, with, like, just how naive she is, just how vulnerable she is. Mm-hmm. Like... She's, like, straight up fucking, what, 14 when she meets him the first time? 14 or 15, yeah. She was quite young. Oh, first meeting between... 16. Sorry, I just saw an article. And he was, like, when they got got married, she was, like, what, 19? Yeah, and he's, like, 36 or some shit. Yeah, it it was a big age difference. Huge age difference. And, like, there's no one looking out for her. And it's just, like, the... Obviously, this is the show we're watching, and it's, I think, I think time has been incredibly kind to the legacy of Diana, and so Uh the writers are obviously through this lens of empathy with her, but also, like, how are they just letting her fucking sink in this family? Like, she's there all by herself, except for her mean-ass grandma. Oh, her grandma sucks so much. Like, where are her parents? Where's her well, older sister who her, was friends with Her mom, Charles? like, if I remember right, like, in real life, when her parents split, I think her dad ended up, like, suing for custody. Okay. And she got on quite well, I think, with her stepmother, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, but, so, but, but by this time, she's, like, you know, uh, 18, or 19 or whatever, 18, when she's, like, living in that flat. I feel like her mom bought it for her, maybe, is something that I read. Okay, anyway, and just lives with those roomies? With her friends. And, like, and I wish, it's too bad they couldn't spend more time dealing with that, because it was really nice to see her with, like, normal friends. Yes! Who weren't part of all of the, the things. Because I know after the, or I know that she did move into Buckingham Palace into an apartment. Like, I get that that's a thing that actually happened, and I understand why. Because she clearly needed to be, like, protected from... The press. <laughs> the press and whatnot. But, like, she was basically imprisoned in yeah. there, right? And, like, I don't know. I find that problematic. Because how have they not learned? Yes. Especially, like... And it it made me happy, but also made me sad that Margaret was the one and that episode that was, like... How can we do this again? How have we not learned? We mm-hmm. need to end this before it goes too far and it ends in disaster. Because it is. And no one sees it except for me and how the fuck. <laughs> yeah, like, how do they not figure that out? No. I don't know. And but I mean... It seem... Sorry, go ahead. It seems like the show... It seems like the show implies that they spent zero time together, except for Belmoral and when he summoned her to propose, Mm -hmm. and then when she went to see him off at the airport, and then he left her alone for how long? Six six weeks? weeks? Yeah. No phone call, no communication, nothing, and then they got married. Is that the timeline the show presents us with? More or less, yes. And it was a very short engagement. They were engaged for, like, four months or something. 
Like, it was very short. Like, how did people let this happen? Like, she's a child. Yeah. I know it's and it's really frustrating watching it knowing knowing the end knowing the end yes mm-hmm. that base basically that um I don't I mean I you can't say that contributed necessarily to her death or whatever but like I I feel like I feel like that how how she was brought into the family is very indicative of how the family felt about her True, which is so strange because it seemed like after Belmont, they all loved her. Everyone yes. was singing praises. They were begging Charles to get engaged to her. Mm-hmm. And then just fucking zero. She's like, what the fuck? I know. Well, and it was interesting. Like, I, and I mean, it's documented. It's documented that she suffered from with bulimia and and whatnot. So, yep. like, that was part of part of the story that I think did need to be told that lunch that she had with Camilla was fascinating to me because if if I if I believe yes and if I believe what the show was telling me there was probably very little malicious intent like whatever that's what they're presenting ultimately right and what I found really striking about it, though, and this is, again, the reason why I think she was, like, set up to fail, was all of those things that Camilla was saying about Charles that you would think his fiance would know and had mm-hmm. no idea about. And it was like, oh, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And, it, and I, I mean, the way that, that the woman who plays Camilla was, like, playing it off, it's not that she was being like, well, I know all these things about him that you don't know. Like, that wasn't the intention I don't think at all. No, um, I think she was trying to, like, create a friendship between the two. Knowing, so, like, ultimately, that they were going to be in each yeah. other's lives. Exactly. Like, these are the things we have in common, and it's this man that we both supposedly know extremely intimately, but yes. actually <laughs> actually not. And it was, I found that, like, that that lunch scene gave me like anxiety like it yeah. was so and you can just see Diana getting so confused and then resolute as she begins to like binge mm-hmm. and you're like oh no yeah like watching her play with her food at first and yeah. just take those little tiny tiny bites and, and then like I pretending just, pretending yeah. to eat it. like she yeah she was basically putting like a little bit on the fork and just like mm-hmm. and moving it, it near mouth. her mouth yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and there was a couple times she like put it on her lips and like just put it down or whatever and then like yeah you're right as she got more resolute and, and a little bit more angry about things she was just like mm-hmm. well fuck it i'm just gonna eat because what difference does it make yeah and it i think that really reflects her sense of like worthlessness she feels all the time right like i'm i'm going to hurt myself and treat myself badly like everyone else does but i'm the only one who is going to feel the pain of it right like it's so 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 upsetting to watch and really uncomfortable to watch well and that scene when she goes down to the kitchen Right oh, at, at night, and when she first takes that like first spoonful of that dessert, whatever it is, which looked phenomenal, 
um, you could see like and like uh, Emma Corrin did a wonderful job with like her facial expression on that. Like her face just like melted when she yep. took that first bite. That like satisfaction of the food. And then mm-hmm. she just like went for it, and then you know, obviously, after and then the like self hatred afterwards, yeah. like and like instantaneous. Yeah. So difficult, but I and also really like that the montage of her. I think they did it really well. Like, firstly, being eager to learn about the monarchy, and then they end it with freaking Charles finally returning home, and then. That oh my god that scene where she walks into like the banquet room and they're all standing in a circle and she does not know who to greet first mm-hmm. was that, so embarrassing. Oh, it was. I hated it. I hated that so much. I felt so bad for her. And they did not help her at all. All they no. did was criticize her. And even Charles in his weird like way, he was just like, oh no, no, so go stand in the middle. Like, he didn't God. even attempt. He, I mean, he directed, like, said, no, like, you have to. But he didn't explain who or what. And I feel like it was funny because when I watched it and I thought Margaret was being kind of an asshole. And then she I was, was like, but... she was. But I, but, I, but I was like, she's also proving a point. Yes. And I don't know if she was just proving the point to Diana. I think she might have been proving the point to the family. I think she was. As well. I think she was in her way of, like, this girl is not ready and you have done nothing to help that. Yeah. I wish Elizabeth hadn't fucking delegated that to her grandma. Because oh, her grandma so is just the worst. Which makes sense, being the queen mother's fucking lady-in-waiting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah that was that was really rough. Really, really rough to watch. It's unfortunate to me that the two things in this season are so big, like Margaret Thatcher and also Diana. Mm-hmm. Like, because there's so much, I think, on both sides of those things to unpack. Um, and can we talk about Margaret Thatcher? Yeah, I just want to finish by saying, like, sure. I agree with you there. And both of them are not happy stories. No, not at all. Like, and they're alluding that right now, what has been a positive thing in the first three episodes of this show? Mountain Batten <laughs> executed. Oh, fuck. That was amazing. I, it was, okay, let's talk about that for a second because I okay. texted you when I watched that. So I knew, obviously, that he died and I knew it was like an IRA bomb and whatever, whatever. Like, it is what it is. Like, it's, this is, you know, from yeah. historical record. The, uh, the fucking tension in that oh, first episode. So he so Mountbatten was blown up on his boat while he was uh-huh. out with like his entire family basically. Um and I think one of his grandsons also died and somebody else. I think his either his, I, was, I don't think it was his daughter. I think it was his niece. Maybe, anyway, yeah. So whatever. so three there was like a bunch of people on the boat, but three of the people on the boat died. And she, so anyway, and you know it's coming because if you know the history, like, you know what's happening. So they're yeah. out on the boat and they're, um, was it, they what are they, what are they? Lobster fishing. Lobsters, right. And so then Charles is. Like pheasant hunting. Pheasant hunting and Philip oh, no. is also. Charles is Charles is fishing. fishing. Yes. Charles is fishing and oh, Philip is pheasant hunting. That's right. And the only other thing that I can remember seeing that gave me that much like tension in my gut 
was in Dunkirk. Oh my god, the drowning scene? Yes. With yes, that's that. exactly what I was thinking. That hurt, like, that was what I was thinking. And I wished, I wished I'd been watching it on, like, a bigger TV with better sound. Um, yeah. That particular scene. But that's where I was just like, holy shit, this feels as atmospheric as that drowning scene in Dunkirk. Like, that, it was just unbelievable. Because they did these, like, quick cuts... And as the scene went on, the cuts got quicker and quicker and quicker, and then the boat blew up. And they just fucking dragged it out. Yeah. They dragged it out so long, and I was just like, oh god, oh god, oh god. Yeah. And, and every time they cut back to Mountbatten, I was like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And it was never that. It was never it. I know. Until it finally takes you by surprise, and you're just, like, shaken to your core. Yeah. And when I had, like, I had read about it previously, because I feel like I'm a pretty big Anglophile and a big, have a big interest in the royal family, but I never realized how much of a critical piece of the royal family he was until Mm -hmm. this show. Oh my god, can we talk about his letter that he wrote to Charles? That was the biggest bitch slap (laughs) that has ever been delivered via mail. And it was fucking beautiful. It was. It was was really, really well done. And like, you know... As we've seen in earlier seasons, Charles does not have a good relationship with his father, and he's been sent to boarding school, and this and this and this and all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he he needed that kind of like fatherly connection with somebody. Yes, but also the way the scene is presented, like Charles gets really pissed, is like they're having a fight. He's like, "You are supposed to be like the one connection for me in this family, and you clearly don't fucking care." And goodbye. And then he goes to write this letter, Lord Mountbatten does, and you think, like, oh, it's him reconciling and being, like, you know, that wasn't my intent, like, I care about you, blah, 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 but it's actually, like, no, you need to fucking step up and figure your shit out and stop being a little child. And I was like, holy shit. I know, I know. Like, you have a role to play, so play the fucking role. Yeah, like, do your family some honor and get over yourself and get over this fucking woman. Yeah. Like, yeah. wow. But harsh yeah. words he needed to hear. Because he absolutely needed to hear them. Philip has not been helpful other than his constant disdain for him. And then also being an absolute dick to Charles when he's like, uh... Dicky was my dad before he was yours, and he Oof. chose you, and I'm fucking mad at you because of it. It's just yeah. like, fuck. Yeah. Instead of, like, looking inward as to why Dicky had to step in to be a dad to Charles, you just blame Charles? Yeah, like... like... Yeah. The, the whole The whole dynamic of the entire family is just absolutely fucked up. Like, it's just so fucked up. And I mean, like, it there's is. the joke that, like, you know, they're all inbred, so there's that. And maybe that's yeah. why they're all fucked up, because they're all cousins and whatever. But, like, I also feel like part of it is just whenever you get those, like, weird dynastic 
families, right? And I, mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's common, like, we can see it, we look at it in, like, the fucking Trump family if we wanted to. Yeah, It's the sure. same kind of thing, where you have these, like, big families that have these, like, legacies of whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like here, with the royal family, like, because there's so much in the public eye, we have this perception of them. You know, as, like, because all we ever see is, like, the public stuff. And yeah. occasionally they're, like, weird attempts to humanize themselves. But then, like, it, there's mo- much more to it than all of this. Yes. Especially just all this... <sighs> Even, like, something as petty as the Balmoral test. Yes. Like, a way to essentially, like, demean people... Yeah. That are trying to enter the family. It felt to me like watching the bits where with both, we'll talk about Thatcher here in a sec, but it felt to me like watching the bits with her and the bits with Diana at Balmoral, like the contrast was like watching on New Girl, watching them play True American when it's just the people that live in the loft and then when there's a new person. And the new person is like, what the fuck? And the new person is like, can I get some rules, please? They're like, there are none. <laughs> and they're like, no, there's no written rules. We don't know what this is, right? And and that, to me, is what it sort of felt like. That somehow, even though she had never been part of it, Diana was, like, part of it somehow. But also, how poorly prepped is the Prime Minister's office oh, fuck that no one fucking gave her instructions on what this weekend would be? Yeah, yeah. Like, are you shitting me? You're invited up there to establish some positive relationships with your head of state and Mm -hmm. literally no one preps you on protocol? I know. Like, that's horseshit. It is absolutely horseshit. So, let's talk about Margaret Thatcher. Oh, God, where to start, Megan? So, Gillian Anderson is absolutely fucking perfect for this role. You think so? I do think so. Because, I mean, they had to work really hard to make her not hot, let's be honest here, because she's (laughs) an absolute knockout at, like, 52 or whatever she is. So they they had to work very hard to make her, like, unattractive. And even still, you still know it's Gillian Anderson, so, like, they didn't do a great job. But, um, she just, there's something about the way that she, like holds herself that I find very compelling and she's because able to like slide into that role yeah it's it's strange because I was watching her I was watching her like address you know her members of cabinet or (laughs) really give them a dressing down or whatever she has that same stoic positioning that Elizabeth does which I found super interesting, even though they, their approach to <laughs> everything is completely different. Mm-hmm. That little bit I, about, like, them talking about who's older and younger was just, like, sublime. <laughs> yeah. But also even just talking about, like, when they're in the, when they're in the Jeep, like, going stalking. And they're talking about, like, what their fathers taught them. I thought, okay, Margaret, Elizabeth, 
listen closely to what you're saying. Like there's not there's not much different that divides you. Like Margaret may have chosen her leadership position, but still they're both trying to like fulfill the same obligations. Yes. And yet at the end of the trip, Thatcher is just like, these fucking dicks. I'm going to take them down. That's <laughs> true. Also, her husband's the worst. Oh, he sucks so much. He's he such so an embarrassment. He really is. How he can really you be is. the husband or partner of a leader in the public eye and be so fucking gauche 24-7? Mm. Well, and especially in that particular context, in that particular society. Yes. Right? With like that whole stiff upper lip, like all of that. And how can you, how can you, how can you read the room so poorly? Absolutely. How could you possibly do that? And just constantly put your foot in your mouth. Yeah. God. Did not make that go smoothly. No, and I, but I am really a fan of, of that portrayal of Margaret Thatcher. Um, Because it's just, it's so... It's so controlled. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... It, it's. It, I mean, in the same way that Olivia Coleman is so controlled as Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Like, where the only time we've seen her with any, like, moments of happiness are when they're at Balmoral or when she's been on, like, holiday when she was younger. Yeah. Like, there's no opportunity for her to be unguarded. Yes. Right? And there's no... There's not many opportunities for just, like, unsupervised joy. No. And, and I, so I found this scene at, at Belmoral where um, Thatcher and her husband come down and they're like, dinner where? Yeah. And everyone else is like in their comfy clothes, basically. Uh, and I was just like, oh, that sucks. But it was really interesting to see that sort of, I felt like that that right there was like the perfect characterization of Margaret Thatcher, the way that like we know her in history, but also the way that the show wants us to know her. Mm-hmm. That she's, you know... I mean, she was, I mean, obviously, yes, her, her office did a poor job of prepping her for this. It's not like people in the office wouldn't have known or people who had worked previously wouldn't have known what this was like. But at the same time, I also think she didn't really give a fuck. Like, do you know what I mean? She was annoyed about it while she was there, but I would imagine that she was just like, whatever, I'm just going to keep doing my job. Yeah. And you can, you can see that, like, she talks about that. She's like, I don't, I don't do time off. Like, there's always work to be done. There's, mm-hmm. there's always something that I need to do and so like a holiday doesn't exist really in her vocabulary mm-hmm. however <laughs> I think there's a certain modicum of respect and you know flexibility and adaptability you need to provide <laughs> to mm-hmm. your hosts and what she did was pretty fucking rude absolutely you you don't walk out on the queen no as arbitrary and ridiculous as her position is if you exist in that system you exist in that system like yeah like if you have to at the very least you invent a fucking crisis and get someone to phone and you know (laughs) what i mean contact you somehow and be like i'm sorry we need you yeah, and just on a blind date. Leave, leave with some <laughs> dignity, right? Instead yeah. of just like scurrying away. Um, but I thought the way, and I don't know how true this was in real life, I thought the way that Thatcher's visit to Balmoral was being like right before Diana's visit mm-hmm. was phenomenal to show yeah. like, 
there's the this juxtaposition this, of those. Yeah, and there's this woman who is existing outside the royal family, who who whose job exists outside the royal family, mm-hmm. who doesn't fit in in Balmoral at all in any of this context. And then there's this person who we're going to bring into the family, and you know she's she just fits. Yeah, she's charming and she's personable and she's as young as she is, she has a lot of wit and intelligence mm-hmm. and like really good just human IQ, like understanding people. And they really portray Margaret as cold and like disaffected from individuals. But I did enjoy that scene of <laughs> her calling in all her fucking treasonous ministers in and just mm-hmm. fucking sacking mm-hmm. them one after one. Oh, it was it was it's oh, so man. satisfying for so many reasons, but what I thought was the most satisfying thing about it was watching this woman do that. Yeah. And have all that power and just do that with impunity and be like, "Yeah, fuck you guys." That's what, you also, fucking, that's what you fucking think of me? Fuck you. Yeah. It, goodbye. You're no longer in my cabinet. Like, you no longer have huge responsibility over this country. Because you publicly went on television and said I suck at my job. Yeah. But I think she sucks at her job and she did a lot of really bad things, but... Oh, she really did, yes. Listen, <laughs> look, the, we, we need to take a break right here. This is not us feeling sorry for Margaret Thatcher. There's no, no way on earth we would feel sorry for Margaret Thatcher. I don't know if no. you heard us talking about the provincial government, but I feel like if <laughs> Margaret Thatcher was in power during a fucking pandemic, I think things would have been a lot worse in Britain than they actually ended up being. So yeah. we'll just leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. But also, the it is funny how her... Like, she... In the show, she purports herself to be of the common man, representing the common man, like, wanting to take down, you know, the House of Lords and the aristocracy and, Mm -hmm. like, but her policies just hurt the working man. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Does that sound familiar somehow? I feel like it does. Anyway, um, I think... But I think that she, like, firmly believed it. I think so, too. I think, I think she did as well. I think, like, I so, think... the, the thing with with that portrayal of her, because you yeah. remember, did you ever see the, the Iron Lady? I did not. The I couldn't stand Stroop's accent. It was not great, and that's why Gillian Anderson's accent is better. Um, it's It feels a little bit less put on somehow, I don't know. But I, I remember watching the Iron Lady and thinking to myself, imagine being a leader of a country. Mm-hmm. And that's your fucking nickname. That's not a compliment in any way. No. Iron Man, total compliment. Well, it's what he's made out of. No, but just like, but even like, the, <laughs> like when you talk about like in, in sports, right? Like the Iron Man streak for like, you know, most consecutive games played is like a thing in lots of pro sports. Right, or, or the whatever. competition itself. Yeah, the like Man there's a, and, yeah. There's a positive connotation to that, but an Iron Lady... No. Like, imagine that's, imagine that's your legacy, right? That that's what people, that's the thing that people remember you as being. The Iron Lady. Like, to me, that just means you enacted a bunch of really severe policies and fucked everything up. 
And also refuse to divert, right? Like... Yes. There was no... There was no adaptation. There was no evolution. It was this or it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So that's my question for you. Like, clearly, in these first few episodes, I'll have to watch some more before... I'll have to catch up to you before we record next. But, like, clearly the show is extremely empathetic to Diana, which I think a lot of the English press is now. Yes, um, they certainly were not, but yes. They certainly were not then. The the, the criticism of her was just horrible, I think, for a lot of unfounded reasons. But whatever, the show is extremely empathetic to her and not necessarily to the royal family, which I think in previous seasons they've attempted to humanize the royal family and bring some sort of pathos to their lives and to their struggles, whatever. Mm-hmm. I haven't yet figured out at the end of episode three, what they're trying to make us feel about Thatcher. I've seen some feedback online that we're supposed to maybe feel a little sorry for her. But why? I don't know. She behaved like a buffoon. She did. It's true. And like, if you eat shit, just like, own up to the fact that you ate shit. Yeah. You know? Like, but I guess that's the Iron Lady thing. Yeah, and I feel like, yeah, I think that that's where we're moving. Yeah. I think that that we're moving towards, like, being made to feel, or, you know, them attempting to make us feel sorry for her somehow, or at least, like, empathize with her a little bit. And I will say this, I do think that her job was not easy. No. And, and, like, just in the time, because she was elected, what, in 1979? She was the Prime Minister until 1990, I think. So, like... In the too midst, <laughs> yeah, well, too long, but like at the beginning of that recession, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, conservatives, because conservatism is a disease, I said it and I meant it. Um, they believe so strongly that the only way to like make things better is to spend less money because then you'll have more money later. <laughs> Basically, like that's really like when you boil it all down, that's what conservative economic ideology is spend less money now and you'll have more money to not spend later. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> and the only people that benefit from that policy are people who already have money. Because if you yeah. don't have money, everything just co- ends up costing you more. And I, I firmly believe, and I, I think, and this is the thing I think with Thatcher, that we, I don't know enough about her to, to say this with certainty, but I just, from what I do know, I feel like she was the kind of conservative politician like a Ralph Klein. Yeah. Where she believed wholeheartedly that what she was doing was the, for the best. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with the, the things maybe that she decided, but I think that, like, I, I think it, you would be hard-pressed to say that she wasn't coming from a principle, like, a principled stance. Interesting. But I, I don't, like, and in, in no way is that, like, an endorsement of the policy, but I feel like, uh, I've said this at work to people when we talk about certain things, you talk about, like, you know, the, the Trumps of the world and, you know, those kind of conservative politicians or conservative, in quotes, politicians that, like, do what's best for, you know, just their buddies or whatever. Ralph Klein was a bad premier, but I feel like with him at least you knew what you were getting. Well, I think there was a a sense of transparency there, but he also didn't have to buck against such a 
stringent status quo in terms of the show, social order that exists in Yes, that's England, true. And, right? and I think Thatcher, but in a lot of ways, is the same kind of thing, right? Where, like, you more or less knew what you were getting. Yeah. And people reelected her. Like, it's not like she, just, she was a one-term leader, either. Like, they kept reelecting. So... <sighs> Which, after everything that happened, like, in the mining communities in Wales, it's just like, how? Uh-huh. How? And so I think that's sort of the the thing I will say about the portrayal of her so far is that, like, I don't think at the time, I don't think her job was easy. I think she sort of, she did too many bad things way too quickly to, like, ever be able to recover from it, ultimately, um, mm-hmm. or, or to be ever looked upon favorably. But I feel like when she came in, she had a, a specific sort of set of goals in mind. And I was like, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to achieve it, and I'm, and I'm not going to deviate from the plan. Right. And I think uh, that mindset, too, was set up by how how much resistance she got just on the basis that she was a woman. Yes. And just how they were like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, you can't do this. You can't do these things. You don't have the experience. Like, she was patronized top to bottom, and I yeah. think that that creates that attitude too yeah and so i feel like i feel like the portrayal of her is i like i mean like i've like what jillian anderson has done with her voice mm-hmm. to give it that like gravelly quality that sort of scratchy you know old it almost quality. feels like every word she says is painful to her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's really bizarre but is it like i don't know if i've ever heard real thatcher speak it's fairly accurate from what I've heard, like the little snippets that I have heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that part of it. And I like that Gillian Anderson as much as, I mean, and like I said before, like she's whatever, 52 or whatever she is, and she's an absolute knockout. Like oh, just, God. she's phenomenally attractive. And so they've done a really good job of making her not attractive, but she still has that ability to like command a space. It's a magnetism, right? Like, there's yes. just something about Gillian Anderson that is just... Oh, man. Yeah. I, and it's so undefinable. When she, when she walked into the Queen's, like, whatever that room is, I don't know, is it her office? I guess it must be. I don't know. Where she meets with all of the people. Um, mm-hmm. When she first walks in, that, like... I mean, Gillian Anderson, would, let's not forget, is, like, five foot three too. Like, that's also an interesting thing. So that first, like curtsy that she does is so deep and so like but her back is just like ramrod straight like everything about her physical presence as much as she's you know in the like she's in the presence of the queen and she still kind of commands the space and yeah, i found like it's... that that appearance piece was really interesting mm-hmm. it almost felt See, it's interesting that you felt that way because when I watched it and she does a super deep bow and she says, like, Your Majesty, it just, to me, it felt, like, disingenuous. Like, almost like she was mocking Elizabeth. Oh, I I think she very well was. But I think she's got that idea, like, that ability to to put that on. Gotcha. And and I think playing that political game, she's been able to kind of navigate that space and learn how to do that. Yes. Being a woman For sure. in that position. Mm-hmm. Being deferential and <laughs> not meaning it. 
to get your job done, I guess. Yes, exactly. And and then, so then the juxtaposition between that, where she does sort of demure a little bit at the beginning, to when she fires all the cabinet ministers, is just fucking unreal. Just with that red pen. Yeah. And just, like, just blank face, just listening to these men cry and scream. It's like, what the fuck did you expect? That she would just be like, well, I guess I resigned. The men were mean to me. Mm-hmm. Come on. Well, ultimately, that's what they wanted, of course, but... Yeah, it was uh, it was good. I I've, I'm enjoying so far. I think this season's been good so far. Me too. Can't wait to see what else they try to tackle. For me, it's the wedding next, and yeah, yeah I'm just really interested how they're gonna end out this season. But like, super excited for season five and six because the cast again is fucking out of this world. Like, Elizabeth Deblicki is going to be Diana? Hell yes. I know. I, when I saw that, I was like, what? Like, Imelda Staunton as the queen? Uh-huh. Dominic West as Prince Charles? Yes, please. Yeah, it's going to be... He's way too attractive. I hope they put some fucking ears on him. They need, they need something. Ears and, like, cheekbones. To, like, you know... He just, like, he has too square of a face for how, like, triangular yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charles is. Yeah, no, just the, I love, I mean, I'm, I will miss Olivia Coleman as the queen because she, I, she's phenomenal. Like, Claire Foy was great, but Olivia uh-huh. Coleman is just, like, she's perfect. Which is so funny because I feel like every time, like, if I remember, Koi said that about Olivia Coleman, like, oh my god. Like, how could how could I even say anything? Like, the, the queen is taking the queen. And then I remember when Imelda was announced, Coleman was like, oh my god, what do I even say? She's Imelda Staunton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. each of them are just, like, so <laughs> crushed know, and honored know, by who's the next one. <laughs> It's crazy. I cannot believe, like, Elizabeth Debicki of, of the crown, like, for the crown, or for Diana, was just like, what? And Jonathan Price as Prince Philip, I thought was a great choice, too. So good. But this yeah. is when Philip, like, fucking starts to relax, too. Yes, I think so. So it makes a lot of sense, but, because I think he's much better at yeah playing loosey-goosey than Tobias is. Yes, I think so too. I don't think I don't think Tobias Spencer is able to like <laughs> play anyone who can relax ever. No, if there's like <laughs> if there's a darkened room in which he is standing in front of a fireplace, begin to tremble because <laughs> something's gonna happen. Um, it's funny. It's funny too. I was thinking about Tobias Menzies. I was watching. It was when they were when they were uh, stag hunting, and it was. I was just thinking about the way that he talks and, and his voice and whatnot. And I was like, oh, it's like be, quite low. It'd be so fucking weird if he ever like if I ever saw him in a role where he had an American accent. I don't think I could handle it. Can you imagine him in something like a musical? Like a singing and a dance? No, absolutely not. I can't imagine him in anything that doesn't involve him killing something. Let's be perfectly honest here. Like, For sure. He just has that that comportment, right? And it's just so... 
Yeah, there's just something about him. He's phenomenal. He's such a good actor. But, like, even when he, when he was still on Outlander and they were doing, like, press stuff or whatever, I always felt like in any of the photos I ever saw of him and he was just like, I hate smiling. Like, do you know what I mean? He just doesn't have that, like, <laughs> that demeanor that looks comfortable doing, like, normal things. But well, if he could stand on the red carpet and just scowl at people, I feel like he'd be right at home. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, like, can you imagine doing press for something like Outlander? Like, fucking shoot me now. Can you imagine also... doing press with Sam Hewen and, <laughs> and Katrina Balfe, like, on the other side of things, and you're just like, oh, I'm also here. Thanks, yeah, guys. Yeah, I'm also here, guys. Thanks. <laughs> but also, <laughs> because of the show and how good he is in it, anytime the three of them together, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, something terrible is going to happen. (laughs) Oh, no, you must run. You must run. Oh, God. Oh, man. Yeah, so if you haven't already watched any of The Crown, you should, because it's great. It's phenomenal TV. It's great. Like, start with season one, because the cast is fucking so goddamn good. Mm -hmm. And, like, season one, you're missing out on the OG Margaret. And, like, Vanessa is everything. She really is. How could we forget? Oh, she's so good. Um, yeah, so, so far, Crown Season 4, good stuff. And for the first time in the history of ever, I'm ahead of Kelsey and watching something. <laughs> I know, I couldn't believe it. Um, also, also, uh, are we ever going to watch the rest of Sons of Anarchy, or have we just I was watching? just, when we were talking about how you just, like, stopped watching after... <laughs> Everfan, I was gonna bring it up, and I was like, no, because <laughs> I don't really want to go back. I don't really want to. I mean, I feel like I know what's gonna happen. So, Me like, too. I don't know if I need to watch it, I yeah, that's the tricky part. I think I think we should make a point of finishing it just for completion and podcast purposes, mm-hmm. but not now. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's no, not not just yet. There's other things. Yeah, we should we should watch it. Um, I also I know you're not gonna watch it because you don't like the actress, but I watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I, I really quite enjoyed it. I know nothing about chess, so like the chess stuff to me was just sort of like eh, okay. But I someone on Twitter who I follow said that it was the best sports television since Friday Night Lights, and I was like, interesting. <laughs> And like sports. I, well, I mean, there's like the competition aspect of it, and it's got like those high stakes. Like, I get, I, I get where she's coming from. But that means that poker's a sport, Megan. Uh, chess is way more involved than poker. But anyway, it, that's basically what she was saying. Is like it gave her the same sort of feeling as watching something like Friday Night Lights. That like those high stakes competitions, all that pressure to win, and you know, like having the right people around you, and like all of the things that kind of go with it. It was really, really well made. Like really, really, really well done. I quite enjoyed it. Um... And I liked what I liked for a lot of it is ultimately is like, it's this girl by herself learns how to play chess. Mm. She learns from like the janitor at the orphanage that she lives at. And, you know, she becomes like a, a prodigy and ultimately beats like the number one ranked chess player in the world. Like that's the trajectory. And it's only seven episodes and they're very full, but, like, it never felt overwhelming. There wasn't too much. Um, and it was just... I thought it was just really, really well done. Like, and a really good supporting cast of, of people around her. It was it was good. It was, it was enjoyable. 
And it was like a nice, it was a nice weekend killer because it was, I watched it over a weekend because it was only seven hours. Like it wasn't a lot. Right. And, and if there's no more, which I feel like there isn't going to be, that's fine. It's completed and it's done. Like it was. It's just a mini series. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was really, really well done. Hmm. I also watched Dash and Lily on Netflix, which you need to watch. Yeah. So it's. It's not a movie, it's a show? It's a show. It's like eight episodes, and they're like half hour long or 27 minutes or whatever, so it's not super long. Okay. I... Um, and it's based on books. The, there's like books by David uh, Levithan that's about Dash and Lily, and so there, it, it was re- the show was really well done. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. Is it... <sighs> Tell me the, the vibe. The basic premise of the show is uh, Dash and Lily... Uh, don't know each other at the start and Dash picks up this notebook that he finds in a bookstore which I'm pretty sure was The Strand um, and oh, like shit, 90% yeah. sure. Yeah, so it's set in New York City right around Christmas time so there's some good things happening there and basically it's like the person who left the notebook uh, is wanting the person who finds it to like leave it somewhere else for them to find again. And so they start communicating back and forth just through this notebook that is, like, in different places. Interesting. It was really, really good. Like, and I've, I've read the books and stuff, and I quite enjoyed them, and I thought the show was really well made, and I quite liked is the it, atmosphere around it. Is it superior to The Lake House? It's so different, because definitely, <laughs> like, it, it's, you can't even compare the two. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because Dash and Lily are, because the, the books are... Um, oh, he did Nick and Nora's Infinite Play. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, and the, the, like it's a young adult book, and so like they're they're like high school right. seniors or whatever. Okay, I um, understand them. Yeah, so, so no, like but... lighter, <laughs> lighter than Sons, and lighter than The Crown, and lighter the than vibe. The Lake House actually, because there's no car crash. Oh wow! <laughs> but no, it was it was really good, and I just I thought it was well cast. I I quite enjoyed like the leads and the their supporting cast was really really good. Um, yeah, it was just like a nice kind of light little thing. Yeah, it's eight episodes. They're whatever thirty. Oh, it says here on Wikipedia they're twenty three to twenty seven minutes, so it's not even long. Like, okay, it's it's easy TV, and I just it was like a nice like pre Christmas kind of thing, and I think you would enjoy it. Okay, well, and Fred Savage directed four of the eight episodes. So, oh, that's lovely. Yeah, and he did a nice job on them. Hmm. Well, excellent. I will have to add that to my list in between torturing myself watching Star Trek: The Next Generation over and over again. (laughs) I see. I see. I see. Yeah, it's been, uh, it, there's been lots of, I've been watching lots of new things in the last little while. Um, yeah, anyway, which is good. I have some questions. I also have a quiz. Oh, I looked for a quiz and couldn't find a good one, so I hope you found a good one. Uh, it was a Christmas one. It just kind of made me laugh. Okay. Because uh, it was about Christmas movies. See? So it's, the way you decorate a Christmas tree will reveal which festive movie you should watch. Oh, I see. So okay. I'm going to ask you these questions. There are 12 of them. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, let's start with the color of your tree. Classic green, frosted, purple, or black. So these are green. artificial trees. 
which of these baubles do you fancy? Green and red with some like sparkles on them. Those like old timey colorful baubles. Uh, a travel themed set of ornaments or just silver. Silver ornaments. Um, silver. Okay. Uh, another set to spice up your tree. A porcelain houses with lights on inside. Fancy glass baubles. Christmas gnomes like the Scandinavian gnomes or golden pine cones. Um, fancy baubles. Yeah, I think that would look good. Uh, would you like tinsel? This is garland, not tinsel. I don't... Oh, tinsel's like that weird fucking icicle shit. Anyway. So. Okay, tinsel, absolutely not. Also, okay. no garland. No garland. <laughs> so this is one of the options. There's deep red gold or winter berry, which is like a purple one, and you're saying none at all? Yeah. Okay, that's what I would also say. Um, more d decorations. Glitzy handmade baubles. There's a sparkly crescent moon. There's some simple snowflakes. And then there's soft felt Santas. Uh, snowflakes. Okay. Uh, some lights to drape around the tree. Colorf colorful orbs, icy blue stars, simple gold LEDs, or holly-style lights. So there's like three red lights with holly leaves around them. Uh, gold. Simple gold. Okay. A random decoration to represent your personality. A festive sandwich, and it's actually like a turkey sandwich in a box. Uh, an eggplant, a vegan sausage roll, or a smiling felt sushi. What? I don't know. It's an eggplant, random... I guess. Yeah, it's, a shiny <laughs> egg... it's a shiny eggplant. Uh, what no, special right. thing will you be putting on the top? An angel, a star, a crown, or a Santa? Star. I already bought my star from Canadian Tire. Do you know what my tree topper is? What? A Green Bay Packers beer cozy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Always on Always brand. Always on brand, <laughs> Megan. Okay, something to put at the bottom of the tree. Is it a wooden crate, like around the base? A wooden crate, a tree skirt, a tree mat, or a pot? What's the difference between a skirt and a mat? A mat doesn't have a hole for the stand, so it looks like you put the stand on top of the mat. Oh, I'm fine with that. Okay. It's a little it's a little tree carpet? Yeah. Which song okay. will you listen to uh, while you put the tree up? Last Christmas by Wham, 2,000 Miles by The Pretenders, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande, or Rockin' Robin by Michael Jackson? Wham, 100%, top to bottom. Okay. Um, pick a mini tree to support your main tree. There's a colorful little money tree, like a little, a black and gold one, a layered pink tree. It's very ugly. I don't think you'd like it. Or a traditional fur baby with a burlap at the bottom. Yeah, fur baby. And lastly, when will you be putting up your tree? The day after Thanksgiving, presumably American Thanksgiving, December 1st, a couple of days before Christmas, or your tree is already up. Um, well, I asked my sister because I want to get a real tree this year for the first time ever. And I asked her how long they live. And she said, Google says five weeks if you take care of it. And I said, okay, I'll get it two weeks before Christmas. Okay, so we'll do that a couple <laughs> days before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the Christmas movie that you are supposed to watch is The Man Who Invented Christmas. You'll love this 20... Okay. 2017 biopic starring Dan Stevens as English writer Charles Dickens. It takes place in 1843 London. Dickens is in a rut with his writing and in desperate need of a hit. Inspired by the city around him, he begins writing A Christmas Carol, which also draws on his difficult past experience living in poverty. This movie will give you a super fun snapshot of Dickens' fascinating life and re reveal what moved the world's the world-famous author sorry, to pen one of the most beloved stories of all time. Hey, it's got Christopher Plummer in it. I'm in. Oh, there you go. There you go. 
It just kind of made me chuckle because, I, like, I thought all the tree choices were absolutely bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely bizarre. Okay, this is just another a one. Pink Here's one? An, another one. Six questions. It is. Oh fuck! Where did it go? God damn it! The BuzzFeed app is infuriating. Um, Christmas tree quiz. Um, bah, 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 bah. The search function leaves much to be It desired. really does, because it takes me back to the one that I just did, but it won't take me back to the one I was just looking at. I'm just going to click this <laughs> really quick. I'm picking all the bottom right ones. We'll see what happens. No! God damn it. No suggested? No, hang on. It'll come back. There we go. Rock and Robin. There we go. Yours is already up. Okay. This was everyone's personality matches a Christmas tree. Which one are you? Six questions. Choose a Christmas okay. movie. Home Alone, Elf, Love Actually, It's a Wonderful Life, Muppet Christmas Carol, or Die Hard. Oh, fuck off, Die Hard. <laughs> um, what were the first three again? Home Alone, Elf, or Love Actually. Uh, Muppet Christmas. Okay. Uh, choose one of Santa's reindeers. Any of the nine. Fucking... Vixen, bro. <laughs> <laughs> okay, choose a Christmas food. Gingerbread, cranberry sauce, candy canes, mince pies, mashed potatoes, or Yule log. Potatoes. Uh, okay, choose a stocking. It's all pictures. Hang on. Uh, a red and green with snowflakes, red and green with Santa, red and green with Christmas ornaments, red and green, well, red with, like, green and white stripes and some holly berries around it, plain red felt with the white trim and then red yeah. with the green trim just the plain one traditional red okay choose a christmas song all i want for christmas is you last christmas white christmas step into christmas santa claus is coming to town or do they know it's christmas i really like last christmas do you i try and avoid that song at all costs and choose a wrapped gift they all have bows on them so just so that you know blue with okay. silver uh cardboard box like a like a nice cardboard box but you know what i mean um with red bow, a black box with a gold bow, gold with gold, red with a green, and yellow with purple. Ew. It's a very Easter kind of palette. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, give me that plain cardboard box. You are, surprise, surprise, a traditional Christmas tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start listening to Christmas music in July, you're an expert level gift wrapper, and you've never been ice skating, but you really want to. Well, none of those things are true. No, but anyway, that I, I'm not surprised that you got the traditional tree. <laughs> no, um, considering the one I designed was exactly. like, no color, no lights. <laughs> okay, I have some questions. Yes. I have one that's just for you, and I'll do that at the end, because it's funny. Okay. Okay, this was a question I, I saw a discussion of on Twitter, and it got me thinking about, and I was like, this is a good podcast question. Is there a better actor who has the range of total creep to charming handsome guy than David Tennant? Oh, man. That's so true. I thought the only other real range that I could really think of was, like, Andrew Scott. Yes. Has that ability, clearly, we know. Oh, my God, yes. I just watched Spectre and then was just thinking about him in Fleabag, and I was like, these aren't even the same person. No. Well, like, isn't he in Sherlock as well? 
He is. Yeah. He's a yeah. He's Moriarty, and he's just like magnetic in that show too. No, David Tennant's a good. That's a great answer. It is. It's a great answer. It is because yeah, Andrew Scott was the only other one I can think of who has who like even really comes close. Because you have some uh-huh. guys who are really good at playing like the creepy guy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then you have some guys who are really good at playing like the charming handsome guy, but they don't have that ability to like necessarily slide in between. And I think the thing with David Tennant is, he's not like. He's not a heartthrob in any way. You know what? I'd say um, Christoph Waltz, too. Yeah. Because he's, like, just the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards, I think, is that personified. Not that he's, like, truly charming. He's, it's a facade, but... But he has the ability, yes. The ability to switch, yeah. Anyway, I thought it was a good question. It it turned into quite a lively conversation on on the Twitter machine. Um, okay, got some questions from our friend from work. Uh, what's your favorite album from your last year of high school or first year of university? Oh, God. Um, albums, 2007. <laughs> uh, Shit, is that when you graduated from high school? Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Megan, you know how old I, know, I am. But I, don't, I know how old you are, but I didn't put it into the words that, like, I was already teaching when you graduated high school, and now that I know that, I don't like it. <laughs> well, there's nothing I can do I about know, that. I know, I know, I know. Oh, man. This is a really big list for me to look at. Um, do you have an answer while I scan here? Uh, I feel like... Oh, gosh. I don't even know. 2001 was a big year, probably. I don't know. What does Pitchfork say? I'll find something off of... Oh, Pitchfork. That's a good place. I might not find anything on Pitchfork because so far I don't like any of their choices. Um, Pitchfork can be a little bit pretentious sometimes. A little bit. Never even heard of any of these bands that apparently had hit albums in 2007. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard of like two of them and one of them is Radiohead and so no thanks. Um... Alicia Keys Mine also was Radiohead was that year which was a good album oh that's a good album that's a really good album um still scanning still scanning Hillary Duff's (laughs) Dignity (laughs) (laughs) just kidding Um, what was your like grad song um our grad song was like forever young I think that was the thing and I don't whatever it just was what it was um 2000 I don't know I don't even know like what I'm looking through other lists here and I'm like I don't remember any of this I don't remember any of these but also like yeah that was the time of like LimeWire and like just having singles like I don't at that time having albums was not really what mm-hmm. we did I do recall that the song Because I Got High came out in 2001 Afro Man I do remember that um, and not that that was like huge hit huge not hit that, that was my favorite but uh, oh that's right that album oh the, I got mine for sure okay what's yours 
It's Rihanna's Good Girl Gone Bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I got nothing. I have no idea. I remember also that Nickelback's Silver Side Up came out that year and everybody, like, immediately hated it. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone was just like, no, this is terrible. Um, Alien Ant Farm's Smooth Criminal came out that year. Oh, wow. Good tune. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is this here? Oh, Destiny's Child Survivor came out that year. Oh, shit. There's, like, good... See, here's the thing. This is what I will say. I will say that there were a lot of good singles, but I don't know about albums. I truly... I don't know. I I don't know. Uh, Also, Walk On by UT, which I kind of like that song. Yeah, I'm sticking with that Gurkha Gone Bad album fucking slams. Oh, you know what? I'm going to just cheat here and say that it was my last year of high school October 2000 yeah I was in high school all that you can't leave behind that might be yeah that's a good album I'll just take that one and anyone who doesn't like it I don't care that's a great album who's that you too oh yes it's a phenomenal album it's not one of their best but it's a good album um yeah I don't know music in my (laughs) see like creeds with arms wide open was a big single like there was lots of singles but albums themselves not so much See, Kanye West Graduation came out th- th- my year, and I remember that being a huge, huge album. Like, people actually bought that one. Yes. I didn't. Yeah. I bought the true. Rihanna album, and I don't regret it one bit. Um, Moulin Rouge came out that year. As a musical. This is just, like, all the big things in music, so that's interesting. I didn't like Moulin Rouge, but anyway, here we are. Um, other question... Uh, what's your best, like, live concert, live show that you've ever been to? Oh, Bruno Mars for sure. So I have, like, three that I can't really decide between. Mm-hmm. So the best, like, small sort of acoustic experience was at the Meyer Horowitz Theater. Um, it was Matthew Good when he was, like, on a solo tour just after he and his wife had split up. Uh, so oh no, is this when he was, like, struggling? No, he, well, he probably was, but he masked it well, because he drank a lot of wine that night, but, um... Yeah, I was gonna say, this isn't the one where he collapsed. No, 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 that was not that long ago. Reva and I were there okay. uh, when that happened. Okay. Yeah, oh, I was there when that happened, too. I've seen Matthew Good in concert many, many times. Uh, no, he, this was, so it was at the Meyer Horowitz, it was like, well, I don't know what year it would have been, maybe 2006-ish, 2005, 2006? Is this Apparitions area? No, later. Later than that. Later, okay. Uh, And he had just split up with his wife. I'm not sure if they were, like, officially divorced, but they were definitely separated. And he came out on stage with three bottles of red wine and a guitar. And that was it. There was no backup band. It was just Matthew Good. And he told stories and lots of jokes and, like, sang a bunch of songs. And it was was a really cool show. Very different from anything I'd ever seen from him. Because that, like, wasn't Uh really his style. Uh, I also went to see um, Tom Petty. Which just, like, blew my fucking mind. It was so good. I went with my friend Ashley. I don't remember what year it was. I don't know, 2008, maybe? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, blew my mind. So good. But I think, like, my favorite concert that I've been to was the Red Hot Chili Peppers show. Because say what you want about the band. Lots of people I know don't like them, and I don't care. I think they're great. Why? I don't know. What's wrong with them? So many people don't like... I don't know. People have, like, weird things about music, and I just... I'm beyond caring what people think of my taste in music. Um, like, I had a conversation one day with somebody about bands and stuff, and he, he said something about how he does, like, Bon Jovi, and I was, like, legit one of my favorite bands of all time. And he was like, I think I think a little bit less of you now. And I was like, you go fuck yourself. Um, like, it's just such a weird thing. 
But the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I've seen them twice. Both times, their show has been so good. They put on such a good live show that Mm -hmm. it, like, regardless, I think, of what you think of the music, like, the live show experience itself is really good. And honorable mention to Coldplay. I don't really like them, but I've seen them twice, and the live show is phenomenal. See, I don't understand people who don't like... Who doesn't like the Chili Peppers? Oh, so many people. They think, I don't know. They, I see lots of stuff on when people like mention something and then it's like, wow, the Chili Peppers, they're just this and that. And I was like, who cares? If you like the music, just like the music. And They've they, also like never like fucking music, sold out. They consistently make rad music. Uh-huh. It's like people saying they don't like the Foo Fighters. I know. Like, And, and I'm at the point now where like... I don't really care you know like i just no. don't really care what yeah. people think I'm, I'm 37 years old and i don't give a shit if you don't think if you don't like the music that i listen to it is not just stay in your fucking lane like i don't care yeah but i will say music today fucking sucks <laughs> uh yeah absolutely 100 it does like when the, my that's children... how i know i'm not in touch with the youth anymore when my kids at school are listening to music when we're working on something or whatever and i They'll be listening to music and occasionally I can hear it because their headphones are so loud. I'm like, how can you hear anything? But anyways, I'm always just like, I don't... Is that music? What are you listening to? Is that just drums? I know. Like, I just... Don't you just feel so out of touch? You're just like, oh my god, I'm just like my fucking grandfather now. That's not music. That's true. Okay, uh, what is the dumbest tourist trap thing you've done that turned out to be great or bad? Oh, this was my question, It was your question. Okay, do you have an answer? No. Because I've been thinking about mine for like a week. No, I want to hear your answer. Medieval times. (laughs) Okay, explain. It was the fucking best. I was so upset to go. I went with my then boyfriend, now husband, and his father when we went to L.A. And, oh God, I don't even know, 2000... Eight. Oh god, I'm gonna have to check that. I have no idea what year we went, but um, I was so like pissed because I was like, we're gonna eat in like an arena where there's horses, <laughs> and we're gonna have to eat with our hands. Are you shit? Like I was like pissed, and then we went, and it was so fucking fun. The our night one, we had the green night, I believe. I'll have to check with Chris if that's accurate, but. The food was really good, and it was just, like, a really weird thing to do. And I was like, okay, I understand why people like this, and I thought it was totally worth it. Yeah. And it didn't smell like horses that bad at all. That's really <laughs> funny. That's good. I like it. Um, I, you know, I've been kind of thinking about it, and I don't know, like, I've just, I don't know, I'm just going to go do stuff when I go places. Um... Nothing I don't think has ever turned out really bad. Like, I don't remember any kind of bad experiences doing any of those things. But, like, you know, when I was, like, when I was in Europe, I did all of the, like, cliche things that you do in all of the cities, you know? Like, went on the London Eye and did, like, all of that kind of stuff. And, like, I don't know. It was fine. I think the thing that it turned out being, it's not super tourist trappy because it's not as well known as, like, other stuff. But when my dad and I were in Ireland and we went to Newgrange... Uh, to like the the passage tomb at Newgrange, that was the absolute coolest thing that I've ever done. 
Um, to see. I don't know what it is. Tell me about you, it. You texted me about it. You were reading the Wikipedia. Oh, the big dome. Yeah. The big dome. Yeah, so, okay, yes. yeah, it was super, super cool. It, it's a passage tomb, and it was built, like, you know, over 5,000 years ago. And on the winter mm-hmm. solstice, and the, the two days before the solstice and the two days after the solstice, if the sun comes up, which in the winter in Ireland is, like, a hard a hard sell. But if <laughs> it does sell. come up, you <laughs> can, like, enter ahead of time to, like, get into the tomb so that as the sun comes up it will like illuminate inside the tomb and it only does it on those five days yeah that's very cool which is fucking nuts when you think about it um and so like it that turned out to be really really cool it's something like my dad that was seven years ago and my dad still talks about about that and how much he enjoyed it uh and he that's really awesome. didn't want to go he was kind of like, oh, okay, fine, I guess we'll go. And I was like, no, I promise that it'll be worth it. And so we, I hadn't been, but I'd heard from other people that it was very worth it. I was like, okay, no, let's do this. And it was super, super cool. Um, See, I feel so robbed because when did I text you about that? Like a month ago? And I was like, what the fuck is this? And you're like, I've been there. And I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, I was there. It was super neat. Um, also, I, it was when I was at Newgrange, I saw... The absolutely whitest skinned person I have ever seen in my entire life. Was it a ghost? No. But it was in the middle. So when we, the summer that I was there, it was like the nicest summer or the warmest summer that Ireland had had in like years. Like the average temperature was like 23 degrees and yes, laugh all you want. But like, it doesn't get very hot there. And they had experienced like a record number of people with like heat stroke and like, sunburned and like sunburned so bad that you needed hospitalization because like don't forget they don't yeah, get that it rains a lot it. it's very cloudy in the summertime you know it might get up to like yeah, 20 degrees they don't have the melanin built up to deal with that no they, they might get it might get to like 23 degrees like two or three times maybe over this like for two or three days at a time but not a continuous stretch it from like I want to say, like, maybe the second or the third week of June through, like, the first week of August, I don't think it rained. Mm. Like, it was it was a phenomenal summer, and I was just, like, living, living in it. It was wonderful. But when we were at Newgrange, this girl, she was wearing, um, like, shorts. I think they might have been, like, cutoffs or whatever, and at first I didn't realize that she was wearing cutoffs. I thought she was wearing white pants. But then it turned out that she was not, and those were her legs, and they looked like white pants. Like, she was, and I'm, like, I'm, this is me saying this. I am not, I am not blessed with very much melanin in my skin at all, and I was probably, like, seven shades darker than her. Can we please name this episode Medieval Times and White Pants? <laughs> yes. That's so crazy. Yes, it was just, like, just to it was crazy. But to you, like how did the weather feel to you? Oh, it was it was fine. It was actually a little on the cool side because we were on the water. Right. And so like it was fine, but like there was a breeze coming in off the water that like cooled things off a bit, and which I think for like everyone else was probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but that's tricky cuz anytime you're on the water, you Yeah might not know you're getting burnt yeah. when you are but but I mean I was not complaining about the weather at all the weather was gorgeous um but some of my Irish friends were like oh it's so hot and I was like oh my god you guys need to leave this island uh <laughs> go experience some other things um okay 
One more, um, one more question. I just want to warn you. I did text Chris to come upstairs because he has a better travel memory than I do, and I want to know if there's something we did that was ever bad okay. because I probably just blocked it out. Okay. So uh, we may come back to that. Question. One more question before I get to the one that's just for you. Uh, something you maybe look back on fondly, which doesn't have to have aged well, but something that you like look back on and you're like, yeah, I like that. As like a work of art? It could be. Or is that what they're talking about? It is, there's no real specifications. It could be a book. It could be whatever, a movie that you look back at and you're like, yep, love it. Oh man. Um, this is tough. Okay, so what, can you explain the wording of the question it's again? Just, it's just something you look back on fondly, and then in brackets, like, it doesn't have to have aged well. So, like, there's no justification for having liked it. It's just, like, this is a thing that I liked. And yes, it hasn't aged well, but that's what it is. Okay. Um, oof. That's a tough one. What do you think? What's I think, your answer? I think for me, I was thinking about this, this is a friend from work, and she only sent it to me, I don't know, like, a couple hours ago. Uh, but I think for me, it's um, Bryce Courtney's novels. Explain. So, okay. <laughs> I've never heard that name before. Have you, you've never, do you know the story of The Power of One? No. Okay, so it's one of my favorite books of all time. Um, I love it a lot. The movie's really bad. Some people taught, would teach the movie like in English 10, and I'm like, why would you do that? Just read the book. Because the movie is awful. Um, all of his mm. stuff, not all of his stuff, a bulk of his stuff is set in South Africa. Um, and Bryce Courtney is like a white South African. And so a mm-hmm. lot of what he writes is from that perspective. Oh, I see. And so I, see. I feel like there are things that maybe haven't aged all that well in the perspective. but like, In it, yeah. But but the writing is really, really beautiful. And there's some really, really like powerful stuff in some of that writing. Um, and then he wrote some other stuff set in Australia. Again, as like a white man. Yeah, Writing about the struggles say. of white men and women in Australia doesn't always translate super well when you look at it through like the 2020 lens no that's true but i will still read like the power of one and it will you know kind of choke me up a little bit because it's so it's so good just because it's well written yes oh man this is really tough trying to think like what might be problematic now but I was all in favor of when it happened. I don't know, like every Disney movie from 1990 to 1997. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like Pocahontas, right? um, Aladdin, um, Beauty and the Beast. Well, like, Beauty and the Beast is still, I don't know, it draws a line, but I yeah. love that fucking musical. Mm-hmm. Um, Man, I don't think anything else. Just like, you know, a devotion to J.K. Rowling. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't aged well at all. That's that's just gone and dead. Yeah. You know the what's the thing about that? Is authorless, you, in my opinion. As you know, my feelings about Harry Potter, just as yes. they exist, we don't need to get into that. But I feel like all she needed to do was just say nothing. About any of the things ever. Like, any of the things that she's come under fire for, think them all you want. Dumbledore's gay? Sure, whatever. No one needed you to say it. It didn't have to be, like, a weird... Just just the books were what they were. Mm -hmm. And that would have been fine for people. Well, she's George Lucasing is what she's doing. 
but also the it's really strange all this stuff because in um in her private detective novels Mm -hmm. her most recent one the characters like respectfully try to force other people to ensure the correct gendering of a character interesting and i was like what the fuck like spent a lot of time on it being respectful to that person and then she's got these like oh what's that word for people who have babies it's women you know like Mm. i just don't that was really really bizarre to read and i didn't think that i was reading it incorrectly or it just felt like it stuck out Mm -hmm. so i don't really know what's going on with her she's a you know, she's a prosecuted white woman. What can we say? Mm-hmm. Her persecuted white woman. Um, okay, are you ready for this last question? I guess so. My husband did not answer my my summons, so. Okay, this is from Tyler. And it's just oh, for shit. you. Oh, shit. It's Star Trek related, it's isn't it? It's not Star Trek related. Oh, okay. If you're going grocery shopping, but you go to an island to do it, are you in a grocery aisle, Ugh. ISLE, or a grocery aisle, AISLE? Fuck you, Tyler. <laughs> How dare you do this to me? Would you like to explain why that's this funny to was, me? <laughs> this was in response to a Twitter rant I had, I guess like two weeks ago now. Where I'm sick and tired of people confusing the Oceanic Isle, I-S-L-E, with the Grocery Isle, A-I-S-L-E. I see it all the time in, like, mostly social media people were writing. I'm just mm-hmm. like, what the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. Where did you ever learn that it was I-S-L-E? Mm-hmm. Where? And so I had this big, you know grammar with kelsey thing Mm -hmm. and then he of course fucking throws this in my face yeah he said he'd been holding on to it for a while so (sighs) i and i feel like rightfully so because when i read it i cackled and uh that was that was the i was like well that's gonna be our last question because i don't know how we can top that but i will tell you this like what don't hoist (laughs) me on my own petard in my podcast (laughs) Where do you get off in the tone of Andy Samberg? <laughs> okay, I need to read you this tweet that I saw today, which like I cackled out loud in class when I read it. When I tell okay. people I'm planning a lot of travel this weekend, that they tend to get a little angry until I explain with a wink that all my travels will be through the magic of literature. Then they get furious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I finally realized what my... Loved it at the time, problematic now thing is. Okay. The movie MacGruber. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. And on that note, I think we need to stop. Um, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to us. You can find our things on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, which I know is not a thing anymore, but it fits and I'm never going to change it, so here we are. It's not? No, I think they got rid of it. Oh. I think it's all like YouTube music stuff now. Um, We have a website? Question mark? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
We have a Twitter account and also um, an Instagram, which you can just type in Garbage Fire Pod and you'll find us eventually. The Instagram is probably the most active. I, I do whenever we, like... Oh yeah, you do ask questions, I do ask for questions, you? and occasionally I'll tweet something from there, just not very often. Yeah. Um, I should start tweeting my criticisms of the government from there instead of my own account. That's what I should do. Oh, also, okay, no, I'll ask you about it afterwards, never mind. Um, yeah, so as always, thank you so much for listening. And you have to say Oh, no, you have to no, say No, you're going to say I don't know what it is. You say your thing and I'll say the thing. Okay, and we'll see you in the dumpster. Yeah, I hated this. Goodbye. <laughs>